0: In the last half hour, uh, three different people have said to me, you know, I've never heard anybody teach Song of Solomon, <laughs> and uh, uh, that, uh, may- maybe, uh, maybe that's a good thing, I don't know, but uh, this, this is where we're headed, this is what we're beginning today, we're going to spend uh, three weeks uh, going through it, Josh Murphy, hello, welcome back. Sorry? Ah, you are. Okay, all right. All right, tell Josh hi when you see him. Okay, thank you. All right, so uh, back on track. Sorry about that. Um, Yeah, it is, uh, The Song of Solomon uh, is is a book that I think has a fair bit of mystery uh, around it. Uh, we, we sort of uh, find our way out to Ecclesiastes, and we just kind of jump right over to Isaiah, and because we don't exactly know what to do with this book. We're not sure uh, how to think about it well, how to think about it rightly. Um, we don't want to, and rightly so, stir up things inside of us that ought not to be stirred up. Um, and, uh, and so uh, we're going to try to make a, a godly and good attempts through this book. Um, our uh, today, we're going to spend most of our time just in sort of introduction, trying to understand what what is this. Um, there he is. He's back. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna see if we can get our way through the first chapter and a half uh, this morning, just to get a, a start and a taste of this. And so the the structure. You'll see on your handout, if you, if you have one, in the introduction is really four, four questions or really four statements about uh, the Song of Solomon. What is it? Um, and, and hopefully, as we answer these questions, that will help us uh, to just sort of get our arms around it. And then uh, we're, we're going to get through uh, some of the, the text today. So... Um, first thing that the Song of Solomon is, and this may be really obvious, uh, but it's a song. Yeah, it's a song. In fact, the very first verse tells us that it's the Song of Songs. And we don't, we don't talk that way, but where else have you heard language like that in the Bible? The X of X's, the Y of Y's. Go ahead. King of Kings, right? Sorry? Lord of Lords, right? There's one more. Very center of the tabernacle or the temple was the Holy of Holies, right? We don't, we don't talk like that. We don't, we don't really have, like, the living room of living rooms, you know, uh, in our house. Uh, but, but this, Solomon tells us, or whoever wrote it, I believe it was Solomon. We'll talk more about that in, time, in good time. But says that this is the song of songs, right? So it is the supreme, the best song that there is. It's a superlative, right? Good, better, best. This is the, the, the songiest song of the 1,005 songs that are attributed to, to Solomon. You'll see that in First in Kings 4, 32 and 33, You don't need to turn to it, but just know that that's there, that uh, Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds, of reptiles and of fish. And we'll see many of those pictures right within Song of Solomon. So it's a big claim uh, and high praise for this book. For it to be called the Song of Songs. Because there are plenty of other songs in the scriptures, aren't there? The the Psalms themselves are sort of the hymn book of Israel, 150 songs. There are songs of Moses and Miriam and, and David and, and others. Uh, yet um, these this this book is called the Song of Songs, the Supreme Song. So, it's a song, and, and it also uh, is Solomon's, um, and, uh, or concerns Solomon. That's the rest of verse 1. The song of songs, which is Solomon's. So, um, there's a number of ways this could be taken, right? It, if it concerns Solomon, it could be only about him. It, it could be by him. It could be both. I... I uh, I actually believe that this is autobiographical, and we'll make that case in just a bit but uh, but that's what we know about the songness of uh, of the Song of Solomon and why second um, it's poetry, uh, and uh, uh, if you so if you have had your nose sort of theologically tucked into uh, Pauline epistles or uh, the Gospel or Old Testament narratives primarily, uh, this will uh, be a shock to your system just just to read it uh, it 'll be a challenge it 's a challenge for me uh, i 'm not a not a poetry guy, I'm much more bent towards being an engineer in the way my the Lord has wired my brain together and uh, but God is using here in this poetry uh, the language of the heart um, as as he Describes uh, this story, and even um, as he is teaching truth, the what's being used are are these grand pictures and intimate pictures that that uh, we just we just don't see necessarily very commonly elsewhere. Um, so some of the surprises that that you'll come up with, just to to give you a heads up, uh, you're going to be left wanting on some of the details. You know, if, if, you were, if you were a detective and you wanted to just make the rock solid case for something from a text, you're, you're going to be left wanting from, from Song of Solomon when you read a portion of it. Um, here's, here's from one of the commentators uh, that I'm working from, uh, a, a great example here. Poetry, he writes, is the art of condensation expressing the maximum meaning in the minimum number of words. As a result, uh, poetry is often more evocative than it is explicative, right? Those are big words, but it just means that uh, poetry is, is designed to evoke a response from us rather than necessarily to explain something to us, right? So, so when you crack open the Dr. Pepper, poetry wants you to love the flavor and to enjoy the experience and not necessarily be reading the nutritional content on the on the back to understand exactly what it is that you're you're ingesting. So that's one of the surprises you may find. Second, is that uh, the timelines and the story progression that we'll see uh, will not be straightforward at all. We will see repetition and cycles and and circling back and, and hold it, I thought this had already happened and, and why, why are they talking this way now? Um, so um, just ready yourself for that. And then maybe the, the, uh, the thing that will jump out to you the most uh, as the Song of Solomon as poetry is the figures of speech, right? Many of which uh, we either don't talk this way or we don't think this way or both. Um, uh, in, in chapter 4, verse 1, for example, he is speaking to her, Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. And uh, I am certain that those are compliments. <laughs> because he loves her, and he's doing his very best to tell her that. And I don't get every bit of that, and you won't either, and that's okay, but but we want to understand you know the the big idea of what he's trying to say. okay, so we know uh, that these are good things. we may not know exactly how. Um, we'll explain several of these figures of speech along the way uh, and uh, but i'll I'll leave you with with a good portion of this for your home study as well to to uh to work through that. So, um, too many of the academic debates talk about, well, is this, is this a single poem? Is this a collection of poems all about one thing? Is this a, a collection of poems gathered up over the decades and centuries? Um, uh, I'll, just, I'll just tell you, it, it's called a song, not an album. Right? So, it's, it's, it, we're told that this is one thing. So however it came to be, it's meant to be one thing to us. So, so I consider this to be one story, one song, one poem uh, with a whole bunch of different parts. Um, and I think that that will help us uh, in time as, as we go through this. Okay, but that leads us to, uh, to the next uh, thing and that the song of Solomon is a love story. We can safely say that no matter how you interpret or come at this book of the Bible. In fact, I think this would be true of everyone except Martin Luther. I'll talk about that in just a bit. I think everyone that I've seen in all of history would agree that this is a love story. Um, And uh, so some of the support for that is with, with, with a very small cast of characters, mainly a he and a she, Uh, He's named Solomon. She, we don't know her name. She's a Shulamite maiden. Um, Ninety percent of what's in the Song of Solomon are the two of them primarily talking one to another. Actually, she outpaces him about two to one. That would not be atypical in relationships. Fran is saying Amen right there. I I see that. Yeah. Um, But they are they are in various settings and meeting places. They're they. We see them marry one another. We see them dream of one another. We see them communicate their mutual affection. Um, we see them try to seek to avoid conflict and then resolve conflict as well. Um, yeah, so, so it is a love story. We can all agree on that. Uh, who are the characters and with what lens should we interpret this book? This is where we may go on some different paths, and that's okay. Um, But I'll make my case. We can talk about it whenever you'd like. So so some of the questions is, should we see this as a historical account of a literal relationship uh, between a literal man, King Solomon, and a literal maiden, the Shulamite woman? Or should we see this as representative of, of, of a supreme human relationship, or the best the best example of a human relationship or third should we see this as an allegory that really there's there's nothing rooted in history or even in human relationships but it's a picture of God and his love for Israel or later as interpreted you know a thousand years after it was read or written uh Jesus and his love for the church God's love for his people um That is a key question. Um, I'll give away my hand here pretty quickly, maybe if I haven't already done so, but but I will tell you that historically, um, the early interpretations of the Song of Solomon were allegorical. Um, Much of the early interpretations of all of the Old and New Testament were, were allegorical, at least including an allegorical Uh, interpretation and that simply means that everything in the book stands for something else so it's like a parable the parable of the sower would be an example of this right where where the seed is a particular thing and each soil represents a particular thing not all parables are like that in fact few are but but that's an example of, of one that has sort of an allegorical interpretation um So evidence of that is is found in other writings as early as 100 uh, A.D. that reference the song. Um, Elsewhere, I'm just talking about the evidence or support for thinking this way. Um, Elsewhere in the scriptures, Israel is described as a lily, a stream, a dove, a bride. um, All of which are pictures in the Song of Solomon as well. In fact, uh, uh, within Judaism... uh, the esteem given to Song of Solomon could hardly be higher. And uh, it exists as the first of the five scrolls in sort of the third chunk of the Hebrew Bible. Um, and when, when asked, when, when a rabbi was asked, Rabbi Akiba, uh, who, who was not quite a, temp- a contemporary of Paul, uh, he died in 135 A.D., so he would have been just the next generation after. When he was asked if it was inappropriate that Song of Solomon uh, was was in the canon, his response was, God forbid. No man in Israel ever disputed about the Song of Songs that he should say that it does not render the hands unclean, for all the ages are not worth the day on which the Song of Songs was given to Israel. For all of the writings are holy, but the song of songs is the holy of holies. And he says that out of understanding this as a picture of God's love for Israel. In fact, in many synagogues, um, during the week of Passover, the uh, Song of Solomon is read in its entirety on the Passover Sabbath. And in Holmes, it is often read at the end of the Seder meal as a, as a declaration of the great love that God has for Israel. So, um, yeah, all to say there are many who see an allegorical interpretation to this book and don't, don't see anything rooted in human relationships. I mentioned Luther earlier. Just have to give him a minute and a half here. Um, After, in the very beginning of his own commentary, he writes, um, many commentators have produced all manner of interpretations of this song of King Solomon's, and they have been both immature and strange. After which, uh, Luther goes on to thank, uh, to to interpret the Song of Solomon as Solomon thanking God for the gift of government. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so he called it an encomium to the political order. That is a, a speech that, that it's a big praise of, of the goodness of God in giving us a political order. So um, anyway, that's, that's Luther. Calvin largely steered clear of this. Uh, he, he didn't write a commentary on Song of Solomon. Maybe that should inform me, but um, he, he, uh, he did... Uh, have various quotes that, that seem to indicate that, that uh, he did not hold its interpretation to be merely literal or historical. Um, in fact, he kicked a guy out of Geneva at, at one point who was preaching Song of Solomon in a way that he didn't like. So um, anyway, all, all to say, path forward with interpreting Song of Solomon is not straightforward. Uh, it's not, not fully clear. But I'll also say that while disagreeing uh, with uh, Ambrose and Augustine and Bernard of Clairvaux and Calvin and Spurgeon and Luther uh, um, um, might be dangerous, um, I'm going to, and uh, I, I believe that the best way for us to understand this uh, story is just simply how it's naturally written. It, it is. They are the words of love from a man to a woman who would become his bride, and, and from her back to him, and, and scattered in with some, some warnings and some bumpers and guardrails that come from, from other characters. So I think that we'll see this unwrap itself as we go through, um, uh, but I want to, to just posit these, these four points against understanding this as an allegory as we, as we begin first um, the book never says it's an allegory, right? There's, it's, it's, just, it's just not that way, and, and nor, is, nor is the reader ever given sort of the decoder ring to, to say this is, this is how you understand uh, these things, uh, to unlock these symbols. Um, so you contrast that with, for example, Hosea or Ezekiel, who, who lived... Visual lives taking taking steps that that drove home a point. Hosea um, marrying a woman uh, of of adultery um, or, or of prostitution, a- and it was clearly in fact it's clearly put there why in the text itself Hosea is given this instruction and then given the reason why. Um, uh, Ezekiel the same way you know there's just a whole whole pile of sort of symbolic things that that he did um, and each time God is giving the the instruction of why why to take this build this word picture in your life so anyway that's that's the first the first point second point against allegory is that that the, the song itself while it's not full-on narrative like we'd expect does give us plenty of touch points with reality right so it, there is a named man there solomon he's called the king Um, especially in verses uh, sorry chapters three and eight Uh, a wedding takes place she is referred to as his bride and then only after the wedding scene Um, and so there are concrete things here not just an not just ideals third um, while not um, straightforward narrative there is, like, like you might have, might see with Isaac and Rebecca, the song does give us some cohesive movement of this relationship through it. And we'll see this of, of something more like a courtship than a wedding scene and then the issues of, of a married relationship. Not as concretely as you might expect from other narrative, but, but we'll see that. And then fourth, um, for now, isn't necessarily from the text, but it is to address a concern that I hear that a literal interpretation of, of Song of Solomon is not, is not worthy uh, because of the ex- sometimes almost explicit language in the, in the book of, of describing uh, a, a literal human relationship. And my response is, if it's not if it's not appropriate to describe a human relationship, is it an appropriate symbol to to describe our relationship with God? And so I, you know, it's it's not from the text, but it it it's, it, it causes me to wonder, you know, uh, how how we um, get through this rightly. So anyway, uh, we're going to uh, approach this as a as a description. Of love and intimacy between Solomon and this otherwise unnamed Shulamite woman who becomes his wife, Um, and uh, yeah, we will over the next three weeks we'll see those markers of of the movement of their relationship. Lord willing. Final point of uh, contention that I need to—we all need to come to grips with—and that is, okay, elsewhere we've read that Solomon ended up with how many wives? 700, and 300 concubines. And so this is the guy that we're supposed to learn um, how to, to have a, a great marriage relationship from. <laughs> and uh, so I th- the answer here, I think, is twofold. First, um, if we have to hang our hat on the holiness of the human authors in order to learn something from God's inspired word, uh, we're sunk, right? We we are. We're, we're doomed. You know Moses, the reluctant Peter, the waffler Paul, the persecutor. Uh, how much? How much of the Bible will you have left um, after after you uh, cancel culture takes out um, the the human authors, right? Um, second, um, we read Ecclesiastes from Solomon at the end of his life, and we understand that he is reflecting upon uh, the failures of his life, and he's teaching us wisdom in the, in the midst of that, even after having been so unwise for so long. So I think that there is a parallel that we can, we can understand from this as it, as it relates to human relationships. So, Okay, that was a long time on point three of what is this, it's a love story. But it's, but it's important, I just want you to know the direction we're going, how, how I'll be teaching this the rest of today and the, and the following two lessons. But fourth and most importantly, um, the song is God's word, right? Yeah, so, so we know that when Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, that all scripture is breathed out by God, right? that it's all useful right for teaching correction, reproof, training and righteousness right um, this is part of all. we may not understand exactly in the next three sessions what how that works, but we know that this is this is God 's word before us and and it's, and it's from him and it's to his people yeah and we know that it's trustworthy and it's authoritative and that as, as Isaiah 55 states it, that when God's word goes out, it accomplishes every purpose that God sends it for, including in this setting right here. I don't know um, the purposes that, that, that it will accomplish, but I know that it will accomplish whatever it is that God has for it to accomplish. So, um, yeah, so, so this is God's word, and we, we are going to study it as we would study God's word. Um, a handful of, of uh, bits and pieces about um, Song of Solomon. Um, it's never really been seriously questioned as part of the canon, uh, either by uh, uh, the, the Jews, the Judaism, for, for being part of the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible, um, nor, nor being accepted by the early church. There's no, no real, no real question, seriously. There are always questions. know about every book of the Bible right you can there's a liberal uh, theologian somewhere is going to question every word in the Bible but but no serious questions um, about about Song of Solomon Um, like Esther uh, there's no direct reference uh, to God by name in Song of Solomon although I think we're going to hear his voice in chapter 5 verse 1 you can make a note of that Um, not today but later I think that we hear his voice there. And, uh, and like Esther, uh, Obadiah, and Nahum, um, the song is not quoted uh, in the New Testament. Um, although um, plenty of hymns, they all have Jesus as the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. Um, interestingly enough, we'll see that in just a little bit. When we get to that part, it's actually she that's describing herself as those two things, not he. But that's either here nor there. So, um, right, uh, important point as we go forward. I understand the sensitivity of this this topic, right? I I get that, and you should too. Um, but we need to know that everything that we will read here, none of it will be. Um, a violation of god 's norms and standards for purity and intimacy right so so it 's hard it, especially in in just the illicit culture that we we 're just we 're just drowning in in all the the images and 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 wicked standards around us. we need to remember that this is god 's word and this this is This is not something that is being bent towards the world, and, and you 're going to need to fight in your heart to to maintain uh, that understanding of, of the scriptures here as we go through them, and to not allow something, whatever advertisement or, or worldly standard to sort of draw your mind into something else that 's not at all intended by the text so i don 't know if that makes sense or not, but but uh yeah, it it, it, it will be a, a challenge for us. Um yeah. Okay. So that all said, after 40 minutes, uh let's let's open the book. Let's open the book and uh we'll get through uh a good good bit of well chapter one and a little bit of chapter two. We've already handled the title, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's And uh, let me read then for us uh, the next three verses. Oh, before we even do that, we have to introduce this, don't we, right? Because my Bible, in between chapters 1 and 2, has a word, she. Yours might have woman or the bride or something else, the Shulamite woman. Um, Unless you're reading a King James then you're probably without those cues so what's happened here is is in hebrew if i say to heidi i love you in hebrew it would sound different than if she said to me i love you so there are cues in the hebrew language that's assuming that either of us actually knew fluent hebrew Um, there are cues in the hebrew language to help us know who's speaking and to whom is being spoken so so you'll see, when you see those cues you'll you'll see she I, I see she he, and others uh, you might see some some other things, but those notes they're not from the original text, but they're there as helps they're there as helps um, i actually I have no idea how somebody with a king James could could make their way through it, but I'm not a very smart guy, so uh, yeah i if you have a King James, you may wish to have another Bible translation next to you or, or scribble in, you know, some, some notes uh, to, to see where the change of voice shows up. Uh, otherwise, this, this sort of just flows. So, all right. Having said that, um, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Yeah, so <laughs> we just, off we go, right? It's, uh, it's full throttle, no introductions, no character developments. Um, it is... Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Line one, and away we go. Um, so, this is poetry. <laughs> and, and she's expressing her desire for this man she loves. Right? She's enraptured uh, with, with everything about him. I want you to see, though, some structural things that will help us. Notice verse 2, and then he where I, then the middle of verse four, where I stopped before it changes voices to others. Notice that she's talking to someone else there, right? She doesn't say "let you kiss me with the kisses of your mouth," right? It's it's let him and his, and then the, the that last line, the king has brought me into his chambers. So the structure here, she's she's talking to somebody else on each end of this, but then in the middle she's addressing him. Uh, all to say, this is this is something we'll see in poetry, and all over and over again. And normally, what that means is it's, it's pointing to the middle of the phrase as being the most important, right? Nothing more than than that. Um, and and so it's it's pointing to the phrase, "Your name is oil poured out." This is the center of her affection for him, is is her love just just for his name his very being it's like oil poured out it's it's smooth and glorious and wonderful and maybe fragrant right um, we will we will see uh that uh over and over again that that uh, we will be fully immersed in um and I'll I'll say literally a sensual situation meaning a a situation that that touches the senses right Right, sensual is not a bad word. It just means that it's addressing the senses, right? Um, and so she's talking about um, wanting touch, right? She's talking about um, uh, the anointing oils are fragrant, the smell. So, so uh, even hearing his name spoken is like oil poured out. So, so the senses. We're gonna we're gonna be just steeped in this all the way through um, that and this is a a part of intimacy uh, that that uh, more than just calculus is a relationship all it it is it is sensual in the in the best and truest sense of that word okay we already run into a a question about middle of verse 4 the king has brought me into his chambers Right, so now they have a private uh, session together. We don't, we don't know exactly what that means, but we want to make sure that we're not making assumptions. Right? Again, this is, this is the very first thing that we'll run into here. This is God's Word describing the, the human, intimate relationship that honors God, that pleases the Lord. Right? It is the song of songs. Um, so another way that, that could, you could understand this is that she is just, she's actually dreaming of or imagining that this would be true, whether it literally happens or whether she's just, she's just saying, draw me after you, let us run, let him bring me into his chambers. Okay. But in short, she's inviting him to invite her. Into, into his life at the end of uh, verse 4 we see uh, a new voice, others uh, if you look in verse 5 you'll see that they're the daughters of Jerusalem that, gives us a, that verse gives us the clue of who's speaking but they say we will exult and rejoice in you we will extol your love more than wine, rightly do they love you, so these, these daughters of Jerusalem are likely maidservants of Solomon's They could be friends of this Shulamite uh, woman. We don't don't know exactly. Um, But we'll we'll hear their voice from time to time uh, through this. And uh, they'll they'll play an important role. But right now they are confirming uh, to him, essentially agreeing with her, of how lovely and admirable and splendid uh, Solomon is. Okay. Verses 5 and 6, she speaks again. Actually, I'm going to read through 7 as well. I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kadar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Okay, so she is in verses 5 and 6 speaking to the daughters of Jerusalem, and she's describing herself uh, as, as dark complexion because of the sun, uh, and, and interestingly, uh, as... Exotic, the tents of kedar were often Arabia, uh, and, or majestic, the curtains of, of Solomon, the curtains of the king. She actually gives three play on words that, that are not immediately obvious to us. Um, in, in essence, she says, she asks the others not to stare at her because the sun has and has darkened her skin. Second, she, she describes... Um, the burning anger of her brothers forcing her to work in the vineyards, which has now caused the burning uh, of the sun on her. And third, she says that while she did work literally to keep the vineyards for her family, she has not taken care of herself because she has expended her energy uh, caring for uh, the family's vineyard. She's not taking care of her own vineyard, that is her her complexion. Okay. And in verse 7, she turns her address to him. And you see um, the first term of endearment, whom my soul loves. Tell me, you whom my soul loves. She simply wants to know, where are you? Where, where, where are you taking your, your flocks? I would like to come and graze my flocks near yours it would be nice to be together right this is a good and simple application in a relationship it's good to be in love with somebody that you like to be around yeah it's a good thing it is a fine and wonderful thing when you're in love with your friend right yeah okay verses 8 through 11 he responds If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. And then others say, We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. So this is a response to her he, he, gives, he gives her the directions, you know, follow the path, and you can find uh, the flocks that are mine, and refers, um, refers to her as my love. This is the first of, of nine of these. You'll see this over and over again. And listen, see those words of tenderness, um, most beautiful of women, he describes her as a regal and beautiful mare. We may not find that the most apt uh, picture of describing someone you love in this day. But, uh, but in that day, uh, a, a mare in the, the uh, group of horses of Pharaoh would have been a, have been a magnificent creature uh, to behold. Yeah. He talks about the loveliness of her cheeks and her neck. Now, two possibilities here. One is, what, what has she just said? You know, don't, don't look at me, I'm sunburnt, my, my, my skin is dark. And what does he, how does he respond? Your cheeks and your neck are lovely. There's nothing wrong there. Right? So he's, he's addressing the very point at which she has expressed her own um, sort of concern. Um, second, it, it very possible that those are the only parts of her actual body that were visible. I mean, if she she were dressed, uh, cloaked and and, uh, with a hood, that may be all that he got to see. (laughs) So that's all he could comment on. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's go on as our time is waning. Uh, Verses 12 to 14. She responds, while the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of En Gedi. Right, so we go now from jewelry, ornaments, to fragrances, right? So so all of these things, um, the, uh, the nard, you'll remember, maybe, uh, I think it's John 12. This is where Mary came and broke the alabaster container of nard uh, over Jesus. And the complaint from Judas was, hey, that was a year's wages. Um, and so the expensive uh, spike nard or nard uh, fragrance um, is, is lavish in, in uh, how she is seeking to please um, Solomon. Solomon. Myrrh, uh, henna, all of these things are fragrant, uh, well, spice or uh, flowers, right? Uh, henna blossoms, it's a, it's a plant, right? And it smells great. Um, so again, we are, we are uh, sort of drenched in, in the, the world of touch and smell and sight and uh, Gedi, oddly enough, is this oasis right next to the Dead Sea. In fact, if you if you go to Google Maps and just zoom in on the Dead Sea and just scoot your way right down the east coast of it, you can't miss Engedi. It's the only thing green on your computer screen. And it, and it, and still today, it's it's orchards and vineyards right next to this desolate Dead Sea. So so this picture of of the henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi is a beautiful one. Okay. We are going to go on. Uh, 15. He says, You are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. She says, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved. Truly delightful. Our couch is green, our beams. The beams of our house are cedar, the rafters are pine. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. He says, a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. She responds, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat it in his shadow and his fruit was sweet to the taste he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love sustain me with raisins refresh me with apples for i am sick with love his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me stopping there um for just a second, you just see the acceleration of the intimacy and the joy that they have one with another. Um, the descriptions, again, of, of, of just, I, I want to be in, in the shade that you provide. It's delightful to be with you. It, uh, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. This is great. You know, it's just a, an oversimplification, but, but this is the, the beauty of the language here and what's being described we don't have time to do justice to verse 7, but I have to, have to get you a start on this, and we'll pick it up again uh, next time, um, because she, in verse 7, seemingly just stops, right? So we have his, his left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. So they are in an, an embrace of love, and she now turns in the poem, in the song, and says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I adjure you, that is, I put you to oath, I need a promise from you, okay, that you will not awaken or stir up love before the time is right, okay? So um, that's, that's my, the Rod may paraphrase, sorry about that, I'll read the whole thing. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. We'll see this um, two other times in this, in this book as we go through, but I want you to see right here that she is, while she is carried away with love, in fact, she, she says to herself, she's sick with love, verse 5, she will not compromise um, in terms of being faithful to God and to maintain her purity. Um, and so she's calling on others, listen, I want you to make this promise to me that, that you will hold me accountable uh, to this, that, that love will not awaken, will not arise until the time is right. Yeah. All right. We are out of time. Um, we'll, we'll pick up, there's more to say about chapter 2, verse 7, uh, when we begin the next time. But let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the beauty of this language and the description of this love story. Um, There is so much here that that we didn't cover, uh, even in these few short verses. But Father, I pray that your spirit uh, would continue to instruct us from your word, uh, show us great and glorious things uh, from this love story. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.